Good morning, good afternoon, everybody, depending on, I guess, what part of the world you're in. You're watching the Rebel News daily live stream. Excuse me as I adjust my computer there. Um, wherein we talk about the news of the day in an unscripted, spontaneous sort of way. I'm joined right now by my co-host, my fellow Albertan, Adam Sos. Adam, how's it going? Oh, it's going wonderful. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, I'm just going through the list of places where we are currently streaming. We are still... Uh, much probably to the chagrin of our big tech overlords, still streaming on YouTube, um, on the censorship platform of YouTube. However, we are also on Odyssey, Rumble, Super U, and Getter, four free speech platforms. Um, I wouldn't say they're conservative. I wouldn't say they're not conservative. The best part is they don't care about my politics and I don't care about theirs. And from what I understand, we may also be streaming currently on Twitter, Mr. Producer, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, and are we on Instagram today too? No. Okay, great. So we're staying away from Instagram. They're particularly censorious. Um, they have YouTube style restrictions on the things you can and can't say. Um, and the reason we're sort of sprinkling around our content like Johnny Appleseed of the internet is because YouTube really is a censorship platform. There are things that we can say on other platforms that we cannot say on YouTube. So if you're watching us on YouTube right now, there will come a time in the show, definitely, 100%, where we cut our YouTube feed and we move exclusively over to those other safer platforms um, where um, we can engage in the free and liberal exchange of ideas. For example, one of the things that we cannot do on YouTube is question the advice of a public health officer as though they are the Pope of COVID. Um, they're some sort of religious deity that we that can never be wrong. We can't question them. Um, there will be no free thought about matters of public health over on YouTube. So, um, but the good news is on Odyssey, Rumble and Super U, if you like the work that we're doing, if you'd like to support us completely willingly, unlike what Justin Trudeau makes you do for the mainstream media or the CBC, just reach into your pocket and give them money for content creation you'll never watch and that you would never support of your own free will on odyssey you can leave us something called a hyper chat and mr producer will send it to us in a chat and we will read it on air likewise with rumble you can leave us a rumble rant a paid rumble rant we'll read that on air or a super you shout and uh likewise those are called Yes, Super You Shouts and Mr. Producer will send those to us and we'll read those on air. And it's a great way to support the work we do while also interacting with us because that's another thing we do that the mainstream media doesn't. Our comment section is open and we actually want your feedback. Um, if you've ever gone to the CBC, more often than not, the comment section is closed because they just, they want your money. They don't want your opinion. Um, and I think that's all the nuts and bolts of the things that we need to get out of the way before we get into the news of the day. Um, let's talk about this. We hear so often, and it's been particularly difficult um, backing the blue when you see what cops are doing. And these are not just Ottawa cops, but cops from police forces all across the country who ended up in Ottawa to deal with the 
quote unquote occupation of Ottawa. You mean mm-hmm. Canadian citizens going to their nation's capital to protest nationwide policies? Where else are they supposed to do it? Um, but, you know, cops were trucked in from all over the country and they went there and they engaged in some pretty ugly behavior, both against journalists, but also against peaceful protesters, pummeling them, arresting them, smashing their truck windows in, uh, pepper spraying them, shooting them at point blank range, uh, running over them with horses. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on. And it makes you wonder, where are all the good cops? Well, getting forced out of the police force, actually, um, either through um, quietly going away because they can't tolerate how woke the force is becoming. So they just quietly take early retirement, disappear. And then there are others who are um, not necessarily vaccine objectors, but people who say, you know what, it's none of your business. I'm not going to participate in the biomedical police state. So I'm going to keep my medical privacy to myself. And those people get suspended from the police force. And then there are cops who say, I signed up for the police force because I care so deeply about protecting the civil liberties of my fellow Canadian citizens that I want to wear a uniform to do it. And what happens to those cops? Well, they also get suspended. Here's the story of two Edmonton city police officers. And I've met Rick Abbott in person. And uh, they both participated in a February 12th freedom convoy in Southern Alberta. And now they're both off duty with pay. So staff Sergeant Rick Abbott, a distinguished career in policing. Off duty without pay, just to be clear. Off duty without pay. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he went to the convoy at Coots and both cops, uh, Constable Elena Golisheva, I hope I'm saying that right, they spoke at the rally and they've both been suspended now. But had these two taken a knee at a Black Lives Matter protest um, and wore a rainbow patch on their uniform, fine and dandy. Mm-hmm. It's all about yeah. woke politics and left-wing politics. But if you express um, support for the civil liberties you put on a uniform every day to protect, you're fired, basically. I mean, when you're suspended without pay, that's constructive dismissal. How long can you work without yeah. pay? Yeah. And you know, the, the absolutely wild thing here, the unbelievable thing here for me is the fact that what media should be concerned about and reporting about is the brutality witnessed in Ottawa. We saw a massive stain on policing that will endure for decades. Um, policing as it exists will not be able to return. Um, they've done irreparable damage. They're going to need new mechanisms and protocols. Um, anyone who was still backing the blue, a large majority of those people very often uh, sort of working class trucker people wearing those back, back the blue stripes um, that they've lost that group as well. Um, it, it is permanent damage. And we we've seen virtually no little coverage from mainstream media outlets. When our own journalists were attacked, um, journalists from other outlets were attacked. So it's not just rebel news. Um, and then there's, there's relative silence. And yet you see a police officer 
standing up for, say, the law of the land, the criminal code, our charter rights. You see an officer uh, trying to de-escalate, which is the language they use, even offering a hug. We've seen officers not get in trouble for that brutality, for trampling people, for kneeling on people, for all this absurd, ridiculous conduct. It's been given a free pass. Um, but if you, if you dare give someone with a different perspective a hug, or if you dare in your own personal time show support, to a very freedom and charter oriented movement, well, then you're canceled. I'm going to even say, go to the point of saying this isn't even, we've almost lost the plot. It isn't even about woke ideologies anymore. Cause uh, this is about sort of reinforcing whatever Justin Trudeau is saying at the moment. That's where these agents of the left, this is where they've wound up because standing up against police brutality was a woke liberal talking point. It was one of the things they espoused, but no, they just don't want to get beaten up. (laughs) I I don't think they've ever actually, sorry to interrupt. I don't think they've ever actually been against police brutality. They just don't want to be on the receiving end of it. They're perfectly fine. If the state uses political violence against their political enemies, that's perfectly fine. They just don't want to be on the receiving end of it. Well, and I'm also saying it's been one of their talking points is we need de-escalation. We need peaceful police. We need police to be properly trained or defunded. Um, that has been their, their rhetoric and their language forever. And then the second we see, and don't get me wrong, there, there's corruption. We've seen extremely uh, questionable things in the United States. Um, I, I think on some levels, there is certainly within some police forces, some racism. Um, there's some very clear and apparent corruption within the RCMP. Um, some of these things we know they happen. Um, we've seen uh, uh, like uh, questionable operations by RCMP forces where they were there was allegedly a large racist movement in Canada, but it turned out to mostly be RCMP officers. Cops, We've seen the all heritage of, front, yeah, Google the heritage, yeah, the heritage front, front friends. Yeah. <laughs> so th- this stuff happens and calling for reform and stuff like that is fine. And sometimes there's questionable police shootings, but what happened in Canada, in Ottawa, looked like what is happening in Russia to protesters. Like the footage is interchangeable. And for suddenly all these people concerned, purportedly concerned about police brutality and violence, they're showing their true colors. The people professing to be anti-fascists once the fascist strategies are being employed in their favor, which is what Justin Trudeau is doing, employing fascist strategies to destroy dissent. Uh, They're very happy about it. And they're saying, oh, well, uh, I've literally seen Antifa people saying, well, a cab, all cops are bastards, but at least they're beating up the truckers now. It's, it's ridiculous. Well, and there's another layer here because, you know, I've seen online, these cops are being painted as anti-vaxxers. They're active duty police officers. They cannot yeah. be anti-vaxxers. They're double, yeah. probably triple vaccinated. These two, because they were mm-hmm. employed by the EPS up until, I don't know, Friday. So yeah. it, it, they're not anti-vaxxers. They just can't bear to see their fellow Canadian citizens treated this way. And like so many of our institutions, policing, academia, politics, healthcare, I worry about the future of these institutions because the conscientious objectors, the people who are governed by their moral conscience, who see things in black and white and and in ethical ways those people Mm -hmm. are being shoved out the door and normally those people are shuffled into positions of leadership so what is Mm -hmm. the police system going to look like in canada in 10 years when all the good ones who should have been shuffled into management were fired because they had good management qualities 
Yeah. You, you, you look at the situation with the Ottawa police chief. We saw crime literally go down in Ottawa. What he wasn't yeah. willing to do is beat the crap out of, excuse my French, truckers, smash their windows, destroy their property. He wasn't willing to, say, violate our basic charter rights, violate the criminal code, because what we saw there was criminal some of the content what yeah. happened to alexa and this is going to be fleshed out in court but some of that conduct is criminal none of that happened under the prior police chief don't get me wrong people were honking some people were upset but on the scale of things people being upset about honking and him not coming in with a swat team versus the escalation that occurred under the new police chief it's an indicator of the way that things are going a con former constable brian dennison was one of the first police officers i've had a chance to speak with him and i'm going to speak with him again about what happened in ottawa but the the conscientious objectors the one thing that i will say that is incredibly interesting is when we started covering these protests two years ago, there might be one or two police officers who'd kind of give us the nod or when they had their mask on, they'd come up to us and kind of give you the elbow bump and say, good work, keep it up. After I interviewed Brian Dennison and then attended a rally, every single cop, barring the one or two exceptions who are giving you just the stink eye from a mile away, said, thank you, Adam. They came up to me and said, thank you, Adam. Um, they rally behind this guy. And I think the unfortunate threshold is, is the truckers had the courage to do what they had to do to take that action. I think the sort of rank and file mentality, pseudo military mentality within police forces, I would, I think that probably at least half, if not more are starting to say enough is enough. But then unfortunately what we're seeing is those people, they aren't being called out to these rallies. We saw at Coots and Milk River, and I'm sure it was the case in Ottawa as well. They bust in and flew in out of area uh, yeah, officers out of area RCMP people because the local people won't do that to their own people. And what does that tell you when they need to bring people in because the local officers are starting to say enough is enough, but there does need to be a unified response to this from police. And the fact that police chiefs are being thrown out because they're not enforcing military action at the behest of prime minister, Justin Trudeau is ridiculous. And it's, I think that's probably the principal indicator of the thing, the way things have gone wrong to your point. There are, are good cops out there, but the leadership is corrupt. If there are good yep. leaders, they're often being thrown out. People like Mark Newfeld, who have Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky behind bars for everything yeah. under the sun, this new police chief who is a radical, and there must be legal action after all of this for what has happened to Alexa, these truckers, some of the wild things that have happened and continue to happen despite the Emergencies Act being dropped. Um, this is extremely troubling, some of the things that we're seeing, and the police are being 100%, as are the courts, weaponized as an ideological uh as an ideological wrench, so to speak, to drive these narratives, to drive these ideologies within society. Yeah, that's uh, Ottawa interim police chief, Steve Bell. He's the crony who was brought in to do the bidding of the state against the peaceful protesters in Ottawa. And he is currently investigating the hurt feelings of several journalists who were yelled at <laughs> um, by uh, Canadian citizens for lying about Canadian citizens. And so he's uh, opened investigations with regard to that and promised that he's going to look into uh, the fact that, I guess, Evan Solomon, somebody swore at Evan Solomon. I wish that that mm. was the least bad thing that happened to me sometimes when I'm at work. But and that's then he what wasn't he's doing. Aware but of 
Yeah, he wasn't aware of what happened to Alexa when David Menzies asked him. This viral video that was reported everywhere, it was in the Daily Mail, it was on Fox News, it was everywhere you looked. Alexa being beaten and shot and pepper sprayed. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. Why do major American media outlets know the name of the Ottawa police chief? Like you really, really have to screw up. Like, like Buck Sexton, Hannity, all these people are asking what, what is, what's with the police chief? What's going on? Why did he resign? That shouldn't be international news. You really, really have to mess up for that to be international news. Uh, yeah. Unreal stuff we're seeing. Now, uh, speaking of made-up crimes, um, the supply of crime did not meet the demand for crime, I guess, in Ottawa to fit their narrative. So now, Marco (laughs) Mendocino, uh, just making things up out of whole cloth in a committee hearing. Uh, Why don't we roll that tape? Yeah, okay. So... Marco Mendocino, he is the Honorable Marco Mendocino. Um, People tell me that he is a reputable individual, but I'm not quite sure he is. Um, He uh, testified. uh, Right now, he's the current Minister of Public Safety. And so he's at a committee hearing. Um, You're not supposed to lie at these things, and you're not supposed to make things up, but Public Safety Minister. It would be an ethics violation. You would think, but those are not a thing here in Canada. As you know, we have Justin Trudeau getting one, two, three ethics uh, convictions uh, for breaking ethics laws. It's four strike baseball. Right, 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 right. So let's uh, let's roll this because this is really something else. Like, I just don't understand how you could be saying on one hand, there's all these strong ties and this is a national emergency for public safety. And I walked every day by these protests. It just doesn't really add up at all. Mr. Minister, Andrew, sorry, just, just 10 would, seconds, Minister. Well, I would say first, it's not an insinuation. We got the advice from uh, our law enforcement that we'd met the threshold. And secondly, Ms. Dancho, respectfully, Ms. Dancho, there were Ottawans who were subjected to intimidation, to harassment, threats of rape. I mean, the, 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 and those were all supported by. Well, how could we have possibly been uh, allowed and, to walk by that every day? Harassment, like, oh, for, threats yeah. of rape. No one's yeah. in jail for threatening rape. They're in yeah. jail for counseling to commit mischief, which again, I yeah. reiterate, is telling somebody else to be annoying in public. Well, we saw Ottawa's Twitter feed, the Ottawa police, if that's where they're getting their information from, well, they they need some new sources because half of what they said, basically, if Ottawa police tweeted something during those protests, especially when they initiated enforcement, it was very often the opposite of the truth. While there's a video of Ottawa police pepper spraying people, Ottawa police is tweeting, we never pepper sprayed anybody. Uh, Ottawa police says tasers were never drawn. Tasers are being dropped by officers. Ottawa police say we never pointed guns at anybody. And then they're literally, there's all these videos of them pointing guns at people. Um, Ottawa police says that someone threw a bicycle at Ottawa police. Turns out they ran over a lady on a mobility scooter. In almost every instance, every major incident that took place, Ottawa police, and I can say this, it's not debatable. They they either were completely misinformed, in which case this this interim chief uh, needs to resign because he's utterly inept, or they were flat out lying. Given the pattern and how many instances we saw where they were saying the literal opposite of what there was footage circulating of, 
I'm inclined to suspect that it is the latter. These people have clearly never been to these protests. These people have never talked to these truckers. Um, when I was in uh, the boys down in Coots can testify to the same thing, but when I was in milk river, you, you'd be offered food. You'd be offered, yeah. Oh, do you need anything? Do you need to warm up? Come stand by the fire. Like I would be 100% comfortable leaving a camera, a really fancy camera on a tripod in the middle of the place overnight. It would be there in the morning. Um, people were cleaning up. You couldn't see litter. You couldn't find a piece of garbage anywhere. It's very tidy, very organized and very respectful. The extent of the, I mean, you've probably seen this new CB article, CBC article about how the honking is causing post-traumatic stress. Um, we have, maybe to, they you know mean, what, can you show that Mr. Producer? Because yeah. uh, we used to have a shirt, a, a shirt that said 1-800, I don't care. And that's how I feel about this. 1-800, yeah. I don't care. Phantom honking isn't a thing. You cut an arm off, you might yeah. have like phantom pain where your arm used yeah. to be, but get over yourself. Honest to well, goodness. And this, these when, when they're saying the these people, yeah, these people, uh, threats of rape, that's ridiculous. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. It is entirely possible that one lunatic on Twitter said something crazy, but so arrest that, that logic, lunatic. Exactly. We have a law but that deals a, with that. Go get that guy. Yeah. <laughs> even at that point, like arrest that guy. Sure. But if you're going to take one, it's the same thing. I, I have not seen in two years, frankly, I think the one time you might see violence is if you showed up at one of these protests <laughs> with a Nazi flag. Um, I've yeah. been covering these protests for two years. I was in milk river. We were in Coots briefly. I have not seen a swastika or a Confederate flag anywhere. I've seen a bunch of anti-communist stuff, but I've never seen a swastika. I've never seen a Confederate flag period, plain and simple. And I've been looking for them. 100%. I've not seen them anywhere. Um, but the, the, this vitriol and this rhetoric, it's as though you were to take the, and I think there's probably more extremists on the left who threaten violence on the regular basis, but you don't see mainstream oh, sure. media outlets running that, that some of the BLM organizers are saying we need to kill and enslave all the whites, for example. Um, we, we, that, that isn't part of the narrative, even though that's probably more than the one odd guy who says something crazy like this. They're simply the, the media, the police forces, they're all complicit in feeding this narrative that makes these people who are utterly peaceful. You know, I have to tell you one thing from this weekend and it was at this exact spot that you're looking at from the screen. Someone's dog was breathing heavily. Like the dog was breathing heavily. So someone with some veterinary training interjected to the person who was walking with their dog and they ran around and got water bottles and they were giving water to the dog who was breathing a little bit heavily. That's the extent of the concern that these people have for each other this weekend, and we're going to talk about this in a bit here, but suddenly there's a significant group of counter protesters, 15 or 20, which compared to the thousands is nothing, but a smoke bomb went off in their midst. I've not seen a smoke bomb in two years. What I have seen is right. people on the sides, very often yelling and shouting angry things. And then the people say, we love you. We're fighting for your freedom too. They throw up their peace signs and they carry on their way. So the, this large group of counter protesters suddenly shows up and a smoke bomb goes off in the middle of the counter protesters and the media outlets say, this is nonsense. Like if someone shows me the footage, I'm I'll recant first thing, but suddenly counterpressors show off a smoke bomb goes up in their presence. And the media says that the protesters who've been entirely peaceful for two years threw a smoke bomb at them. 
Like this, it's insane rhetoric. They're, they're, they're threatening rape. They're throwing smoke bombs. They're racists. They're all misogynists. It's absolutely insane. And I don't understand how there's not a metric of accountability for, you know what, if someone on Twitter says it's some troll sure, but if you're in involved in government, if you're an elected official and you say that this group of people, they're making threats of rape when it's categorically false. If you're the Ottawa police lying and it's categorically false, there needs to be a mechanism of accountability for that. Yeah, I, I, I 100% and like you, I'll recant if I see evidence, but I would chalk up that smoke bomb to the arson in the apartment building um, when somebody staged a fake arson and tried to link it to the convoy protesters. I feel like this is exactly the same thing and I will take it back and apologize yeah. to the poor little Antifa 15 people that gathered to counter protest and hold up signs that say hate has no home here while they say hateful things to people walking by on the street. Yeah. Um, yeah. I- I'll gladly recant, but I don't, as of right yeah. now, I don't believe a word of it. Um, no. There's also this, um, and it's coming from the mainstream media and we'll show you this, this idea that, People cannot be focused on two different issues of freedom at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know about you, Adam, but I can walk and chew gum. I can think about two different things. Like I can think about building Keystone XL and I can also think about Coastal Gaslink. And I, you know, like I, Sheila, you have like an eight, you have an eight core processor minimum. Sheila, you're doing a (laughs) hundred things at once. So no doubts there. Apparently not down at the CBC because there's this uh, CBC journalist on CBC radio. Uh, Apparently she's a cook, author, writer, eater. I don't know why you have to put that you eat food in your bio. I think that's just a given. Um, She's a freelance journalist on CBC radio and the Globe and Mail cookbook author times 12. Does she know that you could just like go on Pinterest these days and just get whatever recipe you want <laughs> that ever existed? Anyways, um, and food access advocate. She loves feeding people. And she is upset that in Calgary, I yeah, this is Calgary. She says it's unbelievable that some Canadians are still rallying and calling for freedom while an actual war started by an actual dictator ravages Ukraine. And even after mandates mm. have been lifted, truly unreal. Yeah. So you can't be concerned that you can't travel domestically within your own country without participating in the biomedical police state. You can't be concerned that some of your fellow Canadian citizens are not yet free in their own provinces yeah. that still have vaccine passports, that still have forced masking, that little kids in some provinces still have to wear masks. You can't care about this. Because Putin, what the hell kind of argument is that? That you can't hold two ideas at the same time in your head. Is there something wrong with that? Maybe she's not eating enough protein. Have we thought about that? Well, and she like the the wild thing is, is she said, oh, they're violent. She retweeted the person through the smoke bomb. And I literally replied, well, I've been covering these for two years, these protests. Um, There's never been any violence whatsoever, effectively. Like I've never seen any violence whatsoever. Um, But the fact is people's lives have been destroyed. It's nice that in your CBC contract, government funded uh, job, you get to stay at home and live your normal life. But the fact is some people who were willing toast class. Some yeah. people were willing to get vaccinated. I, I've interviewed people and the amount of people, the, the, the progressive talking points are falling apart here. First off, comparative trauma is something that is not 
at all espoused by the left, by progressives. If one person is experiencing a trauma and another person is experiencing a trauma, you don't have to compare them to say one is worse or the, worse or the other. These so the, the same thing on, applies. These are the same people who are investigating mean words against journalists. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's, so there's, there's this insane <laughs> double standard. No, 100%. They, they, they 100% are the same people, but there's this insane double standard where like, Oh, well, if you, if you had some uh, childhood trauma or you're a survivor of uh, you're a child soldier, let's say, or you're dealing with something, let's say me too related, or you deal like, we don't compare those traumas. Everyone's going through their own process. This is, and I mean, this is probably pretty good. This is pretty healthy that we don't need to say, well, what you're going through doesn't really matter because something else is happening here. But then suddenly you apply it to the global stage and these people, their stories don't matter. And this is what I said to her. I said, they matter. And I think the reason that she blocked me ultimately is one, uh, progressives don't like to engage in dialogue, but two, I ultimately called her out for not caring about a marginalized community right now. And I actually care about these people. Unlike so many of these ivory tower elite progressive folks, um, media outlets who haven't been affected all by, by COVID um, or COVID restrictions. Um, I actually talk to the people whose lives have been destroyed. And I've talked yeah. to people who got the first jab, had a vicious, so they had no anti-vaccine mentality whatsoever. They had a violent reaction and doctors told them, you cannot get another vaccine. You may die. I've talked to people who with the same story. So this is, I'm, I'm thinking one person particularly, but this is a common story. I've talked to at least 20 people. The one person had this extreme reaction medically documented. They had been working from home for 12 years. They worked for WestJet yeah. working from home for 12 years, never intersected with anybody else. They were talking with WestJet, figuring out what they could do to ensure they kept working. And the last thing they heard from WestJet was we're going to figure out a solution for you. You did everything you could. Well, a couple of weeks later, they hadn't heard anything. They logged into their account and for their benefits. And it said terminated. They didn't even get a call. Thousands of people have had that experience, whether for medical or religious reasons, they were unable to be vaccinated and they have been excluded from society, marginalized categorically. And this isn't some sort of, well, there's an underlying issue or there's some uh, underlying racism. This is overt marginalization of a group yeah. by the government actively and people there attending these protests, many of them vaccinated, are saying enough is enough. We're not going to sit idly by while our Canadian brothers and sisters suffer at the hands of an unruly government and medical bureaucracy that gives no regard to the rights of individuals and has completely set aside the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So people are gathering in a movement that is unprecedented in Canadian history. We have seen thousands of people week after week if you calculate the man hours, it is categorically unprecedented in the history of Canada, this movement. These people are not risking their jobs. They aren't gathering every weekend. They aren't standing in solidarity with those people who have broken down mid-interview and I've had to hug so that they could get through yeah. the rest of the interview because their lives have been destroyed. These people aren't doing this because they're, and I'm going to quote her, because they're ass hats, as she called them. They're doing this because they're Canadians. You're the one who's lost touch of what it means to be Canadian. You're the one who's lost track and lost touch with caring for those marginalized and out, outed communities. These people, along with the truckers, along with those police officers who are doing the right thing and are being shown the road, they're the ones showing their Canadian colors. And for the first time in a long time, I'm hearing people at these rallies say they're proud to be Canadian. And it's not because of Justin Trudeau. It's not because of that Ottawa police chief who's laying the hammer down. It's because of these people who are standing in solidarity, no matter the cost.
I've got a message for Julie Van Rosendahl if she's hate watching, and I'm sure she is because I'm sure they pay people at the CBC to watch us um, to make sure that we don't say anything controversial. But Julie, if you're watching, next time instead of being a coward standing across the street bad-mouthing people, why don't you walk across the street and ask them why they're standing there? Hear their stories instead of bashing them like a coward from across the street and writing them off and making bigoted assumptions about why they're there. And by her own logic, we should drop any investigation into the mean words said to Evan Solomon by protesters in Ottawa because Putin, because what's happening in Ukraine, because everything hinges on Ukraine. We're not supposed to care about the wrongs that happen here, according to her. All things are, you know, all things considered, we have to go with the balance of what's the worst thing and we can only care about that thing. And so if she wants it that way, let's dance, Julie, uh, because then I don't want to hear a single word about somebody sent me a mean tweet on Twitter, which is probably exactly what she's doing, uh, complaining behind that block about you. Yeah, well, and it's it's... It is so sad to see how far these people, these are like, you expect nonsense like this from progressive activists. Um, but lots of these she people the are CBC. You're repeating yeah. yourself. So she is a progressive <laughs> activist. Exactly. But so many people who are, who are meant to be sort of sensible center grounded people have become radical militant ideologues. And it is absolutely shocking. The, the core of this though, the reason why these people can only focus on one issue to your point is because they aren't human beings with feelings on these issues. What they are is marketing firms. They're virtue yeah. signaling. And the current issue of the day is their brand. That's what this comes down to, because if you genuinely concern, were concerned for the people of the Ukraine and for civil liberties in Canada, you'd focus on things at different times, but they would still all weigh heavy on your heart. And this is a time in the world that weighs heavy on the hearts of many. But I think for these people, I don't think issues weigh too heavily on their heart for many of them, because all they're doing is what's the latest thing that I'm supposed to be commenting on. You can go back and I can, I can mark this, look at some of these ongoing persistent voices and see if they ever have an original thought that isn't what Justin Trudeau is telling them to say. These people, when Justin Trudeau was ranting about mandates, it was all mandates. Now, Justin Trudeau is talking about the Ukraine. All they talk about is the Ukraine. Um, they, like These people stopped talking about COVID the second Justin Trudeau did. They were manic about it while Justin Trudeau was talking about it. A day later, oh, we only talk about this because this is what Justin Trudeau is talking about. They don't care about these issues. They care about looking like they care about the current issue of the day. I don't doubt that they see, instead of creating the news that's trending, they go look at what's trending and then they comment on it. Speaking of people pretending to care, how's that for a segue, Adam? Uh, nice. BC Premier uh, Hogan, he said, John Horgan, excuse me, he said that... Uh, and this is echoing something that uh, our former energy minister here in Alberta once said, just go to BC. Just, you know, you don't have a job in Alberta, just go to BC. We'll just destroy the oil industry in Alberta. And if you need a job, you can just get on a bus and go to BC. Well, now uh, John Horgan says that uh, gas prices getting you down. 
just get on the bus. Uh, sure, it might yeah. not go to where your job is. And sure, you might have three kids that you need to take to hockey, rugby, and basketball simultaneously at the exact same time. And maybe you need to do a grocery run and maybe you live rurally and maybe a grocery run looks like a trunk full of Costco groceries. That's fine. You can just take public transportation. What world do these people live in? How about get rid of a carbon tax? How about that? Yeah. The, these are yeah. the very people who have the ability to instantly make mm. gas cheaper. They, mm. It's within their power. But yeah. instead of doing I, something about it, they say, oh, just take the bus. It's fine. Take the bus. He I, doesn't I can, take the bus. I, can, I guarantee you that. I can tell you which world they live in. And that's what I was going to say. They live in a world where they've never taken public transit. Or maybe they haven't taken public transit since high school. And it was sort of a whatever thing. Like these people, it's so rare that any of them practice what they preach. If there is the odd kook green party or liberal candidate who bikes to work every day or uses public transit hey kudos for actually practicing what you preach but that the vast majority of these people echoing these nonsensical talking points they don't live it out categorically rachel notley said the same thing she's like oh the ucp da 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 you're driving up the costs and people can't afford this stuff i'm like like so carbon tax helps like everything they do increases the cost of living for middle-class people or people who are trying to enter the middle class. It's all just more taxes. And then the rich still manage to find loopholes and donate and get around this, or they, they use lead certification grants to get their money back for their massive downtown building, despite being millionaires and average Joe's like us pay way more for gas. And then we have to take the bus with our groceries. Um, it's it's they're living there's this ivory tower class that that throughout almost all these stories that permeates all these things they're people telling everyone else how to live but they're not living in the real world they're living in this other sort of bubble where yeah you can just take the bus like give them cake it's give them cake yeah. literally it's there it's mary antoinette looking down from the tower saying well just let them eat some cake they'll be fine yeah, it's weird how they think that everybody in this province lives in downtown Edmonton or downtown Calgary. Yeah. I don't know how someone's going to get their chicken feed home from the feed store on the bus when you live on a gravel road like I do. Like, it's just it, it's yeah. insane. Um, and, you I, know, like, BC, BC is pretty spread out once you get outside of the, yeah. you know, the the uh, lower mainland. It's pretty yeah. spread out. Yeah. Well, I think the underlying issue with this is like these cities like Vancouver and Calgary, um, not the people in them, but the, the elected officials, they want to pretend these cities are New York City and Sao Paulo, yeah. where there is such yeah, yeah. a dense pop. And I've been to these cities, so I can speak to it. There is such a dense population and traffic is so bad that there's a train every 30 seconds and the, it literally goes and the train goes within walking distance of everything. So you can yeah. get anywhere faster. They go to the airport, they go absolutely everywhere because everything is so dense. And there's so many people that for relatively cheap, you throw in a buck, it's so much cheaper down there. I mean, you throw in a buck or less and there's so many people participating in it that it works. And it's this like sort of net organic pulsating network within the city. That's how people get around people progressives very often who haven't been to this city, these people who get elected. Um, they, they maybe have heard about New York or they visited it once and they're like, Oh, this is cool. I want this where I live. Well, unfortunately when your city is much bigger than Manhattan um, with 
one twentieth of the population. Um, it, it's completely yeah. untenable to have functional transit. It doesn't work. I used transit for many years when I was going to school. I lived way on the burbs. I went downtown. It took me an hour and a half to go 20 minutes. Like both ways, I lost three hours every day. If you have kids, if you're working, you can't do that. It's untenable. Um, and, and the costs are so high and you have, we're, if we're going to pretend we care about the environment and we're going to pretend we care about gas costs, costs rather, how often do you see giant empty buses driving around? Everywhere. It's nonstop everywhere. Just gigantic buses. Sometimes you'll see accordion buses with one person on it. It's great for the environment, real solid. <laughs> Um, now speaking of, uh, the environment, something that's near and dear to my heart is energy independence and building pipelines, um, because mm -hmm. Russia rises and falls on the price of oil. And yet I think every year Canada buys a half a billion dollars worth of Russian, uh, oil, um, to be yeah. refined on our East coast because we can't get a pipeline built from Alberta, which is the Saudi Arabia yeah. of North America. We can't get a pipeline built from here. And the Keystone XL as first order of business, Joe Biden canceled it. Um, even though it was basically all but done, but not only did he cancel reliable, ethical, uh, democratic Canadian oil, in a pipeline that would have alleviated some pressures on the American system and driven the cost of oil or the cost of living down in the United States. He also began yanking permits for drilling in the United States, all in pursuit of the Green New Deal. And one of the quickest fixes would be to just turn on, turn on the taps. Just yeah. open up drilling, flood the market, create American jobs and starve Putin's war machine of the funds that it yeah. needs to do what it's doing, if that is the end goal. But we have uh, spokesperson Jen Psaki telling us what they plan to do when somebody asked her, hey, you know that pipeline from Alberta that's just like basically done, you just have a little this much left to do and we could just do it. Um, and you guys would have reliable oil that isn't Russian because actually, I think I saw today, it was like 700 barrels of 700,000, I think around that barrels of oil per day, the United States gets from Russia. Now, yeah. Keystone XL, 830,000 barrels of oil from Alberta. We could fill it every day, yeah. every single day, all day yeah. long. Um, it would completely offset Russian oil, but she's got another solution. Let's roll that. Uh, oil leases. What this actually justifies in President Biden's view is the fact that we need to reduce our dependence on foreign oil, on oil in general, and need to and we need to look at other ways of process of having energy in our country and others. One of the interesting things, George, we've seen over the last week or so is that a number of European countries are recognizing they need to reduce their own reliance on Russian oil. On oil leases, what this actually justifies. Like it it's in, it, like you keep the, the question is effectively you keep giving money to Putin's war machine and her response is, well, like we need to go green. Like it, it, the, yeah. the cognitive going green is I mean, how, sorry, go ahead, please. No, no. The, the, just the cognitive dissonance of Biden's principal concerns right now are the war in Ukraine, supply demand issues and gas prices you just put the little bit of pipe in and almost all of your, like the heaviest sanction you can impose is just being like, we're buying Canadian oil instead because it's ethical, but there, this underlying, and it's, it's no longer conspiratorial, 
but the World Economic Forum stuff, the George Soros stuff, um, Trudeau, what makes sense for Canada, what makes sense for Canadian jobs is to get a pipeline. We need oil. Ontario uses a ton of oil. They need it from somewhere. Piping it out from Alberta is the logical solution. They won't do it. Biden's principal issues would all be resolved by piping oil down. They won't do it. They continued to buy Saudi and Russian oil when the pipeline is right here and it would resolve all of these problems. It's completely irrational and it is categorically ideologically driven. It's like, it's like being like a low level employee and you know, there's a better way to do something, but your boss just said, you can't do that one thing. You can do anything you want. It can be irrational, but you can't do this one thing, even though it's the best solution. That's what they've been told by their bosses. Well, and pursuing more green energy, is exactly how you got in this mess in the first place, Germany. Yeah. Germany, I think, gets 40% of their natural gas from Russia's Gazprom, which enriches the Russian war machine. And that's why, you know, these, when they kicked Russia off the SWIFT payment system, the monetary exchange, they didn't put uh, fossil fuels like gas and oil into that uh, because it would be catastrophic to Germany because Germany said we need to go green. So we're stopping coal, but Germany also needs to fuel its economy and heat home. So where are they going to get their energy from? Certainly not from wind turbines, certainly not from solar panels. They had to get natural gas and they could get it from Russia. And so Mm -hmm. this is pursuing green energy is exactly what gave Russia the power to do what they're doing now. And so what does the Biden administration say? You know what? We need to do more of that. These are the dumbest people that have ever run the free world ever. And I'm including Jimmy Carter in that assessment. (laughs) And like her her response, like she's the like media response person and she defers to broken nonsensical talking points worse than Justin Trudeau does. Like that response is categorically embarrassing. And it's not only that she she could have very easily said in ambiguous terms, like, but they're so ideologically driven. She could have said in very ambiguous terms, like we are exploring alternative possibilities and we no longer, we absolutely no longer want to fund Russia's war machine, but we are facing supply demand. She could have said some ambiguous political speak like that and, and kind of moved on, but no, she had to get in that. Well, we need solar panels to defeat Putin. Um, talking point, which is just absolute nonsense and doesn't do anything to alleviate this. Ultimately, the other thing too, is so many of the sanctions, obviously they're hurting Putin. Obviously they're hurting Russia. Um, Some would argue that they're pushing Russia to become more extreme because with the pushback they're experiencing in the Ukraine, they thought this would be over overnight. That's not the case. They're now being devastated financially. Um, Some are arguing they're being radicalized, but the fact is none of these sanctions, they all go to undermine the economic situation, but none of them directly help the people of the Ukraine who are suffering. There are arbitrary sanctions against a class of Russian citizens, uh, but they don't do anything to interfere with the front lines other than make a point and, and impose some financial uh, sanctions on Russia. But they don't, they don't do anything right on that front line. Yeah. Uh, now, we do have a petition uh, that we will eventually deliver to the American consulate in Calgary, in the heart of oil and gas country, at buildkeystonexl.com. 
It's a real simple fix. It'll offset every single barrel of Russian oil that comes into mm -hmm. the United States by finishing that one very nearly complete pipeline. It will create American jobs. It will create ca Canadian jobs and it will benefit the safety and security of the free world. And yet they're hung up on solar panels. Mm -hmm. But anyway, if you want to yeah. sign that petition, just go to buildkeystonexl.com and myself or maybe Adam, we'll mosey on down to the American consulate and hand deliver your signatures to the American consulate there to send the American administration a message right there. 10,000 signatures. Let's, let's get to that 15,000 right away. If everyone on stream who hasn't already signed that petition goes and signs right now, we're on all these platforms, share it with a friend. We can get a yeah. ton of signatures on there. If we could get a hundred thousand signatures, that would be incredible. So go sign that right away, folks. Least you can do. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you care about Ukraine, sign it. If you don't care about Ukraine, but you care about energy security, sign it. If you care about American jobs, sign it. If you care about Canadian jobs, sign it. Um, if you care if about you the safety like and security Trudeau. of the free world, <laughs> if you do, sign it for spite. I do a lot of things for spite. Yeah. Just sign it for spite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we have one last thing that we should talk about before we get to chats. I didn't even check to see if we have chats rolling in, but it is Pastor Art Polosky. Adam, can you yeah. give us an update on the situation there? Because it is grim. Tomorrow yeah. here in Alberta, basically all the restrictions are being lifted. No masks in public. Um, our vaccine passport went away two weeks ago. Um, the gathering limits are being lifted. And yet, Pastor Art Polosky languishes in jail. So why don't you give us an update? Yeah. You know, and I, I can't emphasize this too much. I will have a legal update with Sarah Miller coming out today, uh, later on today as well. I did finally manage to arrange a call from Pastor Arthur Pavlowski from jail. He has been going through a lot. So the, both of those will be coming out today. Um, but I spoke with some of our legal counsels trying to see if anyone in Canadian history had been persecuted to the extent, extent of Pastor Arthur Pavlowski. We couldn't come up with, with anyone. He is very likely one of the most persecuted men in the history of Canada, 100% certainly under COVID-19. No one has spent more time in jail. No one has endured quite what he has endured despite other pastors being arrested. Um, he, heartbreaking, absolutely devastating what's happening to him and his family. He is by every metric, a political prisoner. Um, he is being held now. And this is not me suggesting off the record or unofficially that he's being held because of what he said. Um, the predominant charges against him now are for what he said. Um, he, they keep adding new charges. They keep bringing up charges from a year and a half ago where the crown is now providing more. They're, they're pr providing, as Sarah says, their best evidence on that case. Um, they're absolutely dogpiling charges on pastor Arthur Pavlowski. And I want to yeah. remind you, whatever you think about pastor Arthur Pavlowski, he'll be the first person to say, well, in person, he's very sort of calm and civil. His preaching style is not for everyone, not by any stretch of the imagination, but pastor Arthur Pavlowski nearly lost his son. Uh, when his son was born, they said his son was not going to survive. They said his son was not going to make it. And pastor Arthur at this time, not a pastor said, listen, God, if you save my son, I will give the rest of my life to you no matter what. 
that he made that promise. So he is utterly persistent that he will feed the homeless, that he will open his church to everyone, no matter the cost, because that's a commitment that he made. He wants to be left alone and he wants to do those things, but for daring to feed the homeless, I understand in contravention of COVID guidelines, but for feeding the homeless and opening the church, he's now been in jail for weeks. And this is his fifth arrest and his third incarceration for committing the heinous crimes of feeding the homeless and of opening his church per his legal and speaking counsel. Out, sorry. And sorry. And speaking out against the government, which is your right as yeah, a Canadian exactly. citizen to do well, so. And the late, the latest charge stems from, and to be clear, the truckers who are blockading the Coots border were not, not charged on the criminal uh, inf- critical infrastructure defense act. They weren't charged. Pastor Arthur Pavlowski was there for one afternoon and preached to them and said, stand by your convictions and hold the line. Those were his words. He was just encouraging them and preaching them. They charged him and they're basically pegging the whole thing on him as though he's the one who was critical in organizing all this. He went for one afternoon. So for speaking against the government, for criticizing the government, he is being held as a political prisoner in Alberta. That is the case. That is the situation. He's been held in isolation. He was released from isolation briefly. And I have to tell you this, and the family's extremely concerned and they want this out there. And again, I'm going to say that this is an allegation and this is alleged for the time being, but some of the other inmates that were stuck with him, he was put in a cell with inmates and allowed into general population. They came to him on, on, provoked. They're sharing this with us. Um, they came to Arthur and said the guards suggested their, their lives might get better if he got roughed up a little bit. And that the reason they're not allowed certain privileges. And again, this is just what we're hearing. Arthur said that the inmates told him this, so this is not confirmed, but they're saying that they they've been told that the reason they're not granted certain privileges is because of the protesters. So he was taken out of isolation briefly within a couple hours of being removed from isolation. The inmates said that this is what had been suggested to them. And when they refused and per Arthur Pavlowski, they refused. They said, we're not beating up a clergyman. Are you insane? They then moved him back into isolation. So they exposed him to the general population implied right. that their lack of quality of life was his fault. And when they refused <laughs> to do anything, they moved him back into isolation. Um, he, he has been struggling. He was fasting for a while. He is eating now because they were trying to make it seem as though he was making a political point and needed to be committed because he wasn't eating. So he, he's back to eating now, but he, he has been suffering. He misses his family dearly. As you can imagine, he's very much alone, but he's, yeah. he's, He's serving as a pastor to these people. Um, one of the guys, even he was teaching him some self-defense. He relayed to us because Pastor Arthur has a long history of self-defense. But the man has been through so much over two years. His family has been through so much. And all of it stems ultimately from what Sarah Miller says at most should have been a $1,000 ticket. Like they just keep stockpiling charges. And the thing is, other people are attending these protests. They're getting nothing. They're not even getting a ticket. He's getting time in jail. They're, they're, they're pursuing him and targeting him and it is not just or even application of the law fortunately our viewers you guys have been so absolutely incredible and you've been following pastor arthur pavlowski's story today do continue to watch today because we will have two videos coming out the full breakdown of all the charges right from the get-go 
from COVID-19 on Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky since Sarah Miller of JSS Barristers has been protecting him, uh, but also the call from Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky. But thanks to your generous donations, Pastor Arthur, he isn't being bullied around and he isn't unable to afford it, afford an exceptional lawyer. Um, he has a team working for him, a team working to get him out some exceptional lawyers. And all of that is only possible. He couldn't have fought this fight alone. He says that all the time. Thanks to your donations at savearthur.com. Um, there's been so much going on. There's the war. There's the, there's been the blockades. There's been mandates dropping. Despite all of that, we cannot forget that Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky was fighting this from the get-go and predicting everything that was going to happen rather accurately. And he has suffered because of calling this out. We cannot forget about, about him now because he is still behind bars and he will be behind bars at least until March 10th, 11th, unless we're successful in making a bail appeal. So extremely troubling right now. We have no idea. He's locked behind bars indefinitely. So go to savearthur.com, make a donation. You do get a tax receipt if you make a donation at savearthur.com. All those funds go to the Democracy Fund and are used to hire his lawyer. So go to savearthur.com and uh, let Arthur know you're standing in solidarity with him. Now, it's not just uh, our Canadian viewers who are standing in solidarity with Pastor Art. Uh, Our Mm -hmm. friend, Yankee Pollock, was at CPAC in Florida over the weekend just working his butt off and he ran into senator josh hawley who has previously written uh, a letter saying hey maybe we should consider putting canada on a religious freedom watch list alongside iraq and some of the more authoritarian regimes of the world like china because at the time we had pastor art in jail we had tim stevens in jail we had uh james coates in jail Um, We had churches closed in, uh, no, they they did close a church in Saskatchewan, Um, full gospel outreach. They closed closed churches in uh, Ontario, attacked churches in Manitoba, did like a check stop style um, attack on some churches in the Maritimes. Also, um, uh, you know, they're just pastors everywhere that were ending up in well, jail and, and when they refused to close their churches. Sorry, go ahead. Also, and just to your point, I, this will feed into your point. This is just on the uh, after notes. Um, the eve of all of this was dozens of churches burnt down and dozens more vandalized. So the, the overall yeah. sentiment of Canada and the prime minister saying it's understandable or he understands why people burn down churches. So this, this, this is an extension of that existing categorical persecution against Christian churches that's taking place in the country. And it was followed up by the targeted persecution of pastors, but sorry, carry on. Right. And I, I don't want to forget pastor Phil Hutchins. I, I, from his tabernacle. I really didn't want to uh, forget him on the list because he did spend seven days in jail or almost seven days in jail um, in New Brunswick. Now, but Yankee hustled, he put a wiggle in it and he caught up to Josh Hawley <laughs> and uh, he, he asked him a question about Pastor Art back in jail. Let's roll it. A few months ago, you came out uh, about Canada arresting pastors. Um, Pastor Arthur Kowalski has been in jail for two weeks now again. Um, Is there anything you think we could call Canada out on that? I know you did a letter about that in the past. Yeah, I think one of the things is is that um, the Canada needs to, the United States keeps a, keeps a, a designation of folks who are religious liberty violators. 
nations that are religious liberty violators. I've called for Canada to be put on that list, and, and I think that we need to consider all of the options that are available for that. I'm going to go in here. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I will. Yeah, you do you know what we got to come we have it coming <laughs> we yeah. we deserve to be on that list we do yeah we do i can't yeah. i can't and think the, of them locking up pastors like this in hong kong i really can't no no well and the the fact of the matter is like jason kenny even being echoed by the cbc uh chefs television chefs whatever they are they're like oh everything is opened and we're the freedom champions and look at us go i'm like let pastor arthur pavlovsky go there, there's this there's this mentality and it, it's it's so sad to see that the judicial process has fallen so far there is a categorical bias the fact tyler shandro was appointed the justice minister is insane um but it's a these disgrace. people it's a disgrace, a categorical disgrace. And I do have a comment coming from Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky on that as well. But Good. this their their conduct is categorically disgraceful. And they have been persecuting Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky. Just if you hate Pastor Arthur, if you're one of the hate viewers who are watching this, just stop for a second and objectively think about what he actually did. Just, just stop and think about the actual actions of pastor Arthur Pavlovsky and ask yourself, should he be the most persecuted man throughout COVID-19 and certainly potentially throughout Canadian history as an individual for feeding the homeless and opening his church to people in need? This is ridiculous. Jason Kenney and these other people don't get to pretend like everything's honky dory. Like we said, people have not got their jobs back. People's lives have been ruined. And Pastor Arthur Pawlowski still sits behind bars. This thing is far from done and over with just because the majority of the restrictions are being dropped coming up uh, this week. It's not done. No. And you said honky dory, but we can't honk in this country. No, <laughs> We're not allowed to honk. We oh, can't yeah, honk in Edmonton. A, They're giving that, out that tickets. White, honky dory is a white supremacist thing because there's an H. I forgot. Sorry. Right. <laughs> no H, H words. No words that start no with H. H. Words. Yeah. Okay, let's get to some of these chats because we've got a few rolling in yes. and we are already at 11 here in uh, the West. John T. Singus. Uh, gives us a buck. Before my father died in December 2020, he used to get physically ill and gag when Tam, Teresa Tam, would appear on TV. Sometimes I think that her face caused him more discomfort than his cancer. Uh, <laughs> Harper will always be my PM. That's harsh. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> five bucks. <clears throat> I'm not for everyone either. Uh, gives us five bucks. I wonder how much Tam invested in mask and vax shares. I don't know. I, I I don't think she's got a conflict of interest there. However, I do know that the federal government is heavily in, invested in a huge vaccine buy-in. Uh, Princess JT is all vocal on Russia, but I would bet money that if China hit Taiwan, JT would be silent telling everyone not to criticize Xi. You know, that's a great point. Um, we didn't hear a lot about uh, the treatment of Hong Kong from the federal government when China just walked in and took it um, yeah. and crushed, you know, the tradition of freedom and democracy they had there. We didn't hear a ton about it. And uh, well, it's interesting to see the difference between what's happening now with Ukraine. And don't get me wrong, yeah. Canada has, we're the third largest uh, place where people are of Ukrainian descent outside of Ukraine and Russia, the next place is Canada. So I get the ties, why we, uh, why people would support um, 
Ukraine, and I myself, I'm anti-invasion, um, which is why I was anti what happened to Hong Kong. But we didn't hear a lot from the feds on that, did we? Well, and it's interesting now, it'll, it'll raise some interesting questions that, that China is at least maybe not entirely endorsed, but criticized some of the Europe, the West, the United States involvement in the Ukraine in a seemingly pro-Russia statement when all these progressive bodies who tend to be rallying behind China and NATO, the United Nations, Canada, all, they're like, they tend to be just pushing China's interests. They're very anti-Russia. And then China came out saying that they're kind of pro-Russia. So that could shift things. It's an interesting dynamic. So we shall see. It reminds me of that meme where that, that cartoon guy is going to push two buttons. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> am I 100%. mad because China took Hong Kong? Am I mad because Russia took Ukraine? And it's liberals can't choose, can they? Right. They can only care about one issue at one time. They can. It's yeah. what did I say in the meeting? It's the. Equiv- I forget what I said. Anyways, uh, Harper will always be my PM. Just- and funny. I know. And then I totally forgot. Good thing I have a lot of those moments in a day. <laughs> uh, gives us four bucks. Socialist Ford is quick to call Putin a thug, but didn't Ford sign off on Toronto cops to tackle people holding a flag or questioning him recently? Doing the same as Princess uh, Justin Trudeau. Uh, I think our head of video, Efron, has some video on his Twitter feed. It's his pinned tweet of the mistreatment of protesters by the Toronto cops under the jurisdiction of uh, Mayor John Tory. And since Toronto is in Ontario, as many of you may know, maybe Doug Ford would have to say something about that, but he didn't. He just called those people yahoos. Wonder if Liberal Ford will manage to people to give him a minority in June. Princess JT, I cannot see many taxpayers rushing to help Canadian cops these days. Yeah, it's a real shame because there's a lot of good cops out there. It's just the bad cops are trading on the good cops' reputation. And they're parasites, and I hate it. Lisa Proust gives us five bucks. Hi, Lisa. Thank you, Sheila and Adam. You are both a fantastic pairing. Lots of gratitude for your hard work and passion for truth and integrity. Well, I appreciate that very much. Harper will always be my PM because it's two bucks. Canada police in 2030 will be what Beijing cops are now. Just a bunch of cowards with zero courage and zero respect following orders. Ford JT or Dan Andrews should be the last to preach to Moscow. Ottawa cops are getting $346.5 million in 2022, but they'll probably do nothing for the community once again. I do not remember the last time that service made a huge difference, yet asking for more each year. I'm not against properly funding the cops, but with properly funding the cops comes accountability, and I'm not seeing the accountability side of the equation of funding the cops. I'm not, I'm not a defund mm-hmm. the police kind of person. Yeah, maybe but, just um, dehorse the police. We'll just take their horses away. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just unhorse them. Uh, yeah. Lisa gives us three bucks. Rape. Haven't you insulted the truckers enough? I love the truckers forever. Thank you, Rebel, for always reporting in the most objective way. Oh, Lisa, I'm definitely not objective, but I appreciate that anyways. But I'm honest. And as we've covered, you guys I'm know entirely I'm a objective. Yeah, Adam's and objective. As we've covered, I'm entirely objective on all matters, always. To the I'm tea. raging conservative. <laughs> Uh, B. Bappas <laughs> gives us a buck. The House of Commons has passed Bill S. 
233 and is now before the Senate to come up with a framework for implementation. Okay, we'll have to look into that. Uh, King7734 gives us a buck. Hold on, you just went on about cops coming from all over. Ever think that it was one of those cops who pepper sprayed and not Ottawa cops? Um, I think... I think it was we mostly, know it was mostly RCMP Ottawa. who were coming in. Yeah. And again, when we were yeah, there was the, Ottawa the cops, mounted was unit. Was, yeah. They're under the direction of the Ottawa police chief. So when the cops came from mm-hmm. all over the country, they ended up under the direction of the Ottawa police chief. So they are de facto Ottawa police at the time. But we do know the tramplers are Toronto mounted unit cops. Okay, uh, Harper will always be my PM, gives us a buck. I was talking to my mate about his weekend with the NYPD and calls he did in three nights. He joked that most Canadian cops are probably too scared to spend time with the New York PD as they act tough on unarmed truckers. Lisa says, Sheila, what do you have against avocado toast? I don't have anything against avocado toast. Actually, I really like avocados and I plan to eat them all before I start Lent because I have two bags of them upstairs and... uh, I, I fast for Lent, so I got to get all the like bacon and avocado out of the house before it causes me undue temptation. Uh, you're invited to my home for one with pink champagne anytime. It's delicious. I just think the people who pay too much money to smear an oily vegetable or maybe it's a fruit on toast have no right lecturing people who wear coveralls for a living about freedom. That's all. And what it means to live your life and work hard and be left alone. Uh, and Mark gives us a buck. I've seen the anti-protests set off the smoke bombs. I was 12 feet away from it on Saturday. Shout out to AD. Well, there you go. Yeah. Very good. I'm not surprised. That uh, was our immediate thought. Cause we were at the back of the March and we saw smoke go off, off to the side of the March. And our immediate thought, I was with Sid and we're like, well, what, what did someone do to the March? The thought never even crossed our heads that someone in the March did this. It's who did this. Yeah. B. Bappas gives us a buck. Saskatoon city council is openly refusing to lift mandates and restrictions. You know what? Edmonton city council has agreed to the same thing. They're not lifting the mask mandate. Um, I'm not altogether clear why. I guess they set their own target for what um, daily coronavirus infections have to be. So I guess all the bedroom communities and suburbs, thank you for your business um, because that's where it's all going to go. And so if I were an Edmonton business owner, I would be raising holy hell about this because all of your staff and customers, they're go- you're going to have people who want to work in the bedroom communities. And there are a ton of them in the Edmonton area and people are going to do their shopping there. Like when Edmonton and Sherwood Park are right, they're divided by a highway. Tell me how that's science, but you could just go across the highway and live your life free. But Amarjeet Sohi, the mayor of Edmonton is Justin Trudeau's former natural resources minister, can get a pipeline bill of his life dependent on it. And now he's doing Trudeau's bidding by reinforcing the COVID lockdown that Trudeau refuses to let go of. Wasn't there like a component to the reopening process that municipalities couldn't overrule? Like within law, there's, I think it's called paramount, like uh, the health, the larger health jurisdiction has say over that. I thought they implemented something where the cities, which is why GOT Gondek sort of reluctantly went along, tried to have a vote anyways. But I thought that there was some safeguard in place against that. What I do know is, yeah, what I do know is 
the moral of the story, I think, for a lot of people over the course of the pandemic has been that your municipal council counts. We should be actively involved in making sure that there are normal people running your town because it it ended up being a patchwork quilt of restrictions all the time. And it didn't really follow any sort of rhyme or reason. I don't want to say science because that'll get us kicked off on YouTube and we're still there. But it didn't uh, follow any rhyme or reason. So it was like one road would be one on one side, one sort of form of restriction. And over there, it was completely different. And it was because some municipalities were more sane than, well, Edmonton, I guess. And so as conservatives, if you want to be free... You got to get involved on, the, uh, on politics at the local level. I know it's easy to focus on the big pictures of, hmm. you know, provincial and federal, but really those municipal politicians, those have been yeah. the ones controlling your life for two years. Well, and I think progressive activists recognize that people aren't as engaged on a municipal oh, yeah. level. So they're pushing and spending hard in those municipal areas. And that's why you can see an entirely conservative uh, province where they're largely conservative province where the two city hubs have extremely progressive mayors because they launched concerted efforts within those areas uh, to garner that power. So good point, Sheila, and get involved on that level yes. as well. Thank you. Uh, Harper will always be my PM, gives us a buck, makes an excellent point. Uh, wonder how many people that CBC Julie helped to feed. I'm guessing zero as she claims to love feeding people. Doubt she ever ran a street kitchen like Art and David do. Yeah. I bet Art and David's food's better too. (laughs) AMT 60 gives us a buck. Doctors are lying about vax exemptions. I know someone who got the first jab because of a work mandate and the doctor initially said his medical problems were from the vax. Doctors refused to write an exemption. Doctors are being bullied all over the place by their um, governing bodies. Um, They're threatened with having their careers ruined. So there's that too. Annalisa 1964 gives us 10 bucks. I know this. I know I say this all the time. Now, Annalisa is a true believer, actually. Uh, Big David Menzies fan. Big, big David Menzies (laughs) fan. She says, I know I say this all the time, but I love the rebel. I'm happy I'm home today where my internet works and I can watch the show and give a donation. Keep up the awesome work. Well, thanks so much. Slaves to the new age gives us a buck. I was at the protest in Calgary on Saturday and it was the counter protesters that lit the smoke bomb. I had the footage of it on my phone. The smoke made me sick. You know, if you send have that, to you send, send that it to, to me. Us. Yeah. yeah Adam Sheila, at yeah. rebelnews.com. Adam at rebelnews.com. Send it to Adam. Let's debunk this. Yeah. Uh, Harper will always be my PM. Gives us a buck. What's happening in Ukraine is unfortunate, but not surprising as the U.S. and Canada are just weak. Leaders list jokes in their current state. Can't see Putin seeing Joe or Justin as a threat to get in his way. That's exactly why he did it. That's why he took Crimea uh, in 2014, when Joe Biden was VP, that's why, um, you know, China's already looking at Taiwan with lust in its eyes um, because, you know, there's no peace through power this time around. Tech Jibe sends us five bucks. I don't see a chat, but that's great. Harper will always be my PM because it's a buck. Wonder what side commission Joey or Justin get from buying oil from Dubai or Russia. Um, Lots of donations coming into that uh, Trudeau Foundation. Yeah. Not related, of course. (laughs) 
Uh, Cat BRBA gives us 50 bucks. That's very generous. Take down the Trudy's and Trudy diaper wipes. Wipers. Yeah. Uh, B. Bappas gives us a buck. Don't worry about the cost of avocados, a semi-tropical fruit. I grow my own. Um, that's when people are really going to start to care about the supply chain is when the people who uh, love their avocado and toast have to pay $10 for an avocado. And then uh, because they take a bus, they don't care. But eventually, eventually it's going to hit them. And eventually they're going to be uh, mugged by reality. Here's hoping. Um Stephen D. James, five bucks. If the mask mandates are lifted, then only the diehard mandate supporters will be wearing them. Then we will see how many people actually support wearing masks. The truth will be even more exposed. This is why I've talked about this before. That's our last chat, by the way. But this is why I love the town of Lacrete, Alberta. It's this little town at, literally at the end of the road, way northwestern Alberta. It's 14 hours round trip from the capital city, driving at 110 kilometers an hour. 3,500 people live there, largely Mennonite, but not entirely. For example, Grace Life Church, the, the mandate resisting church in Edmonton, they have a sister church up there. And basically they decided both as a local government, but also the business community, which is strange. So the local government, the chamber of commerce, the people and the churches. So what usually makes up a community, they decided we're going to forge our own way forward. Thankfully, I think because they are largely religious, also largely because they're rural and so far that you have to rely on your neighbors for 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 things because civilization is far away, but also because they are a 14-hour round trip from heavy-handed enforcement. They decided we're not doing this. You want to wear a mask? Great. You don't want to wear a mask? Great. We're not enforcing any of the restrictions on churches, businesses. The local community didn't require vax passes when the federal or sorry, when the provincial government brought them in. They even went one step further. They said, if you want to do business in McKenzie County, there will be no such thing as a vaccine mandate. And they said that to ATCO. So the major gas company and that's northwestern Alberta. There's lots of gas up there. They said, not only can you not do, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is it. So not only can you not do business with the county and Mackenzie County is enormous. Um, I think it's as big as Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. It's huge. Um, they said, you can't not just do business with, with the local government. You can't do business within the bounds of everything that we're in charge of. Vaccine uptake there was only 35%. Why? Because that's what vaccine uptake looks like without coercion, without coercion from the government, without uh, being able to go about your everyday life, go for dinner, go to the gym, go play sports, go to work. They took all of that out. And that's what vaccine uptake would yeah. really mean without coercion. Um, so that's yeah. why we must love, cherish and protect the Lacrete at all costs. They are the control group <laughs> for the entire country. Um, I think we're all caught up now. Should we wrap up the awesome. show, Adam? No, I'll just sit here for a while. <laughs> Let's just sit no, here and stare at each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good note. You know, the people, the one last thing I will say is over the past couple of months, when you go somewhere, you don't have a mask on. People are smiling at each other. Oh, I've no. seen people whose workplace forces them to be masked up, wear the face guard, everything like that. The amount of those people 
that say it's nice to see your face or it's nice to see your smile. Um, that's far more indicative of the real world. Like we've talked about throughout this entire stream, there's the ivory tower people. And then there's the vast majority just trying to live their lives. And we're happy to tell the other side of the story on behalf of those folks. Yeah. As long as the, uh, mainstream media remains terrible, we will always have a job and, uh, I wonder if they'll ever figure that out. Anyway, <laughs> I want to thank Adam very much for joining me on the stream today. I want to thank Mr. Producer and the rest of the team back in Toronto, all the people who work behind the scenes to put the show out. I want to thank everybody who tuned in on all those platforms. Boy, there was a lot. YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, Super U, Getter, Twitter, but not Instagram because no thanks. Um and I want to thank everybody who pitched in to make a donation to help us do the independent journalism that we do. We can do it without your support. Um, I'm not. No, it's me. I'm on the show tomorrow. And David is on the show tomorrow. We're back here at the same time in the same place. Um, we'll see everybody tomorrow, hopefully. And as David Menzies always says, stay sane. Thank you very much for that introduction. Honored guests, ladies and gentlemen, friends. Our beautiful European continent is facing the rise of a new empire. An empire ruled by bureaucrats in Brussels with the proud capitals of our nation states reduced to little more than administrative centers for the provinces of the European Union. Before I continue, I would like to thank the organizers of this conference, our, for creating an international podium during which politicians, scholars, and those with a love for sovereignty can discuss the superiority of our nation states over the bureaucracy of Brussels, a place where we can share ideas for the future and try to build a network of parties that respect the diversity of cultures and languages in Europe while passionately defending their own a place for those of us who understand that in the European country, in the European context, one size fits none. One only has to visit the buildings of power of the European Union in Brussels to understand what is at stake. The buildings lack any aesthetics, have no discernible identity, no soul and no beauty. This is, inten this is intentional. And it's also symbolic for the ultimate goal of the European Union, to strip nation states of their unique histories, of their languages, and of their cultures, to uproot citizens from any sense of home in order to erase any sentiment that our sovereignty is worth fighting for. Local identities are to be replaced with a contrived hegemonic narrative of a European identity founded on the imagined superiority of the EU over nation states in providing peace, safety, and a stable future. However, this pipe dream of a singular European identity comes at a price. And it is up to the citizens of our once proud nation states to decide whether it is a price that we are willing to pay. We need to decide whether we are going to abandon hope and leave or whether we are ready to dig a trench and fight for liberty in Europe. For the price that the EU is asking of us is our freedom. While a hegemonic European identity might still take years to achieve and to forge, the speed of the centralization of power to Brussels has increased at a rapid pace over the past two years under the guise of a so-called pandemic. A narrow window of opportunity, as it was called by Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, 
an organization that has been under the increasing influence of the Chinese Communist Party and that is seeking to roll out a neo-communist agenda across the world through its Great Reset. Under the guise of a contrived and permanent state of crisis, like COVID and climate change, it seeks a total transfer of power from citizens to, techn to a technocratic elite. It seeks a world in which the state will monitor and control every aspect of their citizens' lives. It is a world without democracy, a world without privacy. For the EU, this pandemic, pandemic was the opportunity, the perfect excuse, to enact a plan in line with the Great Reset, a plan that they had been working on for many years. It is the European digital identity, a step towards superseding the national governments in defending the interests of citizens into a European whole. In response to this pandemic and under the guise of purportedly protecting the safety of their citizens, the European, the European Union rolled out the European Green Pass and individual member states to QR codes. Only with this code, in some countries that was only obtainable through vaccination, were citizens allowed to take part in social life. But as it turned out, these QR codes had little to no effect on stopping the transmission of COVID-19. So why were countries holding on to these QR codes if it was not in the interest of public health? The European Council answered this question themselves, and they said that the design of the Green Pass was merely a first version of what will become a complete digital wallet. In the next few months, they will be working with member states to further roll out this app. The European Green Pass has therefore been little more than a first step to developing a European a digital ID. But what exactly is this digital ID? Now, a digital identity document is a central location for storing all kinds of personal data, which can be used by governments and companies and can trace every internet user to only one person. This means the end of online anonymity. And this is also the loss of privacy. It means that every payment, every comment, every tweet, and even your medical details can be linked to you as a person. It also means that companies can set conditions for access to their services based on this data. The Green Pass and the QR codes, which were implemented in countries across Europe, gave you access to social life only if you were vaccinated or, as happened more recently, if you have received the booster shot. Your freedom, therefore, depended on your compliance, on your good behavior. But the system is not new and already exists in China. Not only did we import their lockdowns, we are now also bringing the Chinese social credit system to Europe. Depending on their good behavior and therefore their social credit score, Chinese citizens have access to things like public transport and restaurants. Their score also determines whether they can go on holiday or not and which facilities they have access to. However, behavior considered to be bad by the state is punished by denying access to such things. Even their social contacts can influence whether the government deems them to be good or bad citizens. China is, of course, much further ahead in the implementation of the system. Yet experts warn that a digital ID will make a similar social credit system possible in Europe. You only have to look at the European Green Deal to understand that a personal carbon dioxide budget linked to your digital ID is a likely scenario in Europe. It will decide whether you can still buy meat 
or how far you can travel by plane or by car, depending on how much of your budget you have left. This is a terrifying mechanism of control that forces compliance of citizens. But now that countries across Europe are almost uniformly letting go of strict COVID measures and are putting the controversial QR codes on hold, the EU is rolling out the European digital ID. Lockdowns in the Green Pass were merely a trial run that has shown the global elite that even the free nations of Europe were willing to give up their freedom for the impression of safety. It was never about COVID. It was about setting up a permanent digital infrastructure for a central digital identity. Under the pretense of public health, we are being herded towards a terrifying system of control that will mean an end to our individual freedoms as we have come to know them. The challenge that each of us faces in our home countries to fight off the transfer of national sovereignty to Brussels and to protect our citizens against this neo-communist agenda being rolled out under the guise of the Great Reset is greater than ever before. The European digital identity is a supranational tool to control and monitor the behavior of citizens across Europe. What we are currently seeing in Canada with the freezing of bank accounts of those protesting or sympathetic towards the protests against the inhumane COVID measures implemented by the regime of Justin Trudeau will also happen in Europe if we don't take a stand. With this digital ID, bank accounts could be frozen for simply placing a tweet that counters the dominant narrative. Our states will be failing to protect their own citizens against an increasingly powerful Brussels if this plan is rolled out across Europe without any resistance. Honored guests, we all have different interests and priorities that much is clear. Yet we all have a love for freedom, the freedom to pursue our own interests as sovereign nation states. We also seek to protect the interests of our citizens and their individual liberties against a bureaucratic elite that seeks to reduce the diversity of European nations into a controllable homogeneous mass. All in the name of control, all in the name of the Great Reset. Let us ensure that we resist this globalist agenda in Europe, that we stand firm to protect the sovereignty of our nation state and protect our citizens. This is our duty as freedom-loving parties. And I wish you all strength and steadfastness as we enter an era of rapid change and constantly changing narratives that seek to confuse and dislodge. Stay true to your principles and your nations Stay true to defending liberty. Thank you.